0: Welcome to the Outpost Church podcast for Discipleship Training Week 2023. This year, our theme was All He Asks is Everything. Over the next few episodes, you'll be encouraged by a variety of speakers who actively lay down their lives to serve God and His Kingdom. We hope that as you listen, you feel inspired to further understand what it means to follow Jesus and surrender all aspects of our lives to Him. We hope you Enjoy!
1: One of my favorite stories of incorrect lyrics uh, was my son. Um, and he'd heard the, the song YMCA plenty of times. And you know, he was familiar with the letters and he'd even, you know, signed them with his arms. Um, but there's this one time where he was singing it, and I was like, oh, that's 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 interesting. And he he would say, he thought that um, the YMCA was being, must have been disrespected in some way in the song, like, oh, it's not that good a thing. And he's like, but it's fun to say it, though, Y-M-C-A. It's fun to say it, though, Y-M-C-A. Yeah, I found that quite funny. It makes sense. Like, fun if, if to say it there. If you didn't have any idea what the YMCA was, why would you think it was that? We're about to do the Discovery Bible Method. Can you raise your hand if you're familiar with doing the Discovery Bible Method? A few of you. Um, We're going to do it for a quite familiar story. And something that often happens is when you dive deep into something that's very familiar, you find things that you didn't realise were there. I want you to be open to discovering new things... As you look at what is quite possibly very familiar, um, is there anyone that hasn't turned to that passage that knows what passage it is? Jesus, Jesus is in it. <laughs> it is not that one. But thank you for trying. Everyone's afraid to have a crack. All right, open up and uh, be delighted as you find it. So open up to Luke chapter 10. And what we're going to do is this. We're going to follow the instructions that are up on the screen. So you'll read this out loud. We'll actually just do it once all together. So you get a bonus reading. And then I want you in a pair I think we can do pairs with everybody. If there needs to be one group of three, then that is fine. But ideally in a pair. And if both of you are confident and happy to read out loud, then you take it in turns of reading the whole chunk out loud once each. If one of you doesn't want to read out loud, that's fine. The other person just reads it out loud twice. If neither of you want to read it out loud, one of you is going to have to just step up and read it out loud twice. Um, but once it's been read out loud twice, you close the Bibles and you try and recount it in as much detail as you can. It's not one person with the Bible open testing the other person; it's both of you with Bibles closed trying to recall as much detail as you can of the whole of what you've just read. It's amazing how much more attentive we can be when we know we're going to have to do something with what we just read. What we just read, so. We we'll read it out loud twice. Then, after you've had a go at recounting all the details, you open your Bibles again, and just quietly reread it back through, and take note of the different things that you didn't um, say when you were recounting. Um, and then you ask those questions: What stands out to you? What will you do about it? Who will you tell? So, what is God highlighting to you from this passage? But before you ask that question, you are carefully examining the whole lot a couple of times um all right who's up for reading it out loud for everybody i did see beth's hand first so (laughs)
2: sorry the parable of the good samaritan on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test jesus teacher he asked What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, "'And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, "'A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho "'when he fell into the hands of robbers. "'They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, "'leaving him half dead. "'A priest happened to be going down the same road.' And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine... The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise.
1: Thank you, Beth. So I'm going to give you 20 minutes uh, to work your way through that. It's not going to feel like an abundance of time for most of you. You'll need to keep moving through fairly quickly. Um and it would be awesome to get to the point of sharing responses and praying for each other. But if you don't get that far, that's okay. Just work your way through um, and see how much you can get done in 20 minutes. Off you go. All right, I'm going to stop you there. Who would like to share briefly what stood out to them and what? They feel to do about it.
0: Thank you. Um, for me, what really stood out was the compassion that the um, Samaritan showed, and um, he he didn't he didn't know this man, and not only did he, didn't he not know him, but he didn't know how he got there, and he didn't judge that. He um, treated that. Um, you know, as best as he could and he gave um, so much of what he had and what would have been massive amounts um, back in those times and what sort of stood out for me was, you know, walking past the city and seeing, like, a lot of homeless people and, you know, you might feel sorry for them but how much are we actually stopping and really helping these people or how much do we just think, I feel sorry for them And, and we're not really doing doing anything and I think for me like what what would I do about it I think it's really easy to just come up with a great idea but they're not necessarily the most sustainable if we don't understand why we don't do it in the first place so for me it's just about probably just preying on that f- for a while and actually understanding um does it start with the judgment or does it for me, on assuming why that person's in a situation like that, or does it start even earlier and just having a couple minutes to think about that then? I think it comes back even further and earlier for me of um, putting like expectations on myself that others aren't going to help me because I deserve um, the situations that I get myself into sometimes, so I'll place that on other people. Um, so, for me, probably just starting here and then changing outwardly, and hopefully that can just, um, yeah, spread into doing good for others more.
1: That's great. Thanks, Amy. I see that hand. Um, we, <laughs> there's a few things in that. Um, there's a lady, Delmay Barton, um, who 16, 17 years ago, um, suffered a, a heart attack at Griffith University and she um, was on the ground at the bus shelter basically in her own vomit uh, for five hours before anyone helped her. Um, she's an opera singer um, but she's also Aboriginal uh, and appears Aboriginal um, if And she ended up being okay so five hours later um, she got the help she needed and she was taken to hospital Um, and she survived she was okay Uh, she was quite certain if that had have been uh, a white male if that had have been a white female that it might have been five minutes rather than five hours and it's just interesting on that you know 2006 that happened you wonder how different it would be in 2023, quite possibly no different at all. Um, But that's an example because I really appreciate what you highlighted there. Not only did he not know the man, he didn't know how he got there. And often we have our own stories and assumptions that go with how someone might have ended up in the predicament they find themselves in. Um, And that's much bigger than what happened on that day. That's much bigger than what's happened in those last few minutes um, but what led to someone being in the position that they're in. You also raise a really good point when it comes to what are you going to do about it. When you have something that comes up, sometimes we could have an action point that we enact almost straight away and then it's like a big tick. I've done it. I am a doer of the word, not a hearer only because I put it into practice. And we don't sit with it. We don't let it become part of our common practice and who we are Um, we just do something that means that we can tick a box and so I appreciate yeah what you shared with us around that and I I think a really good action point can be I'm adding it to my prayer list I'm not going to leave it to chance I'm going to actually add it to my prayer list as something that I'm going to sit with I'm going to pray for that with whatever rhythm um, in order to go what are you calling me to do um, yeah, so I, I think both things are good. I think both having something practical and hands-on that you do straight away, but also don't allow yourself to stop sitting with the bigger picture question and issues that it brings up. Um, but, yeah, that's excellent. Thank you for that. Josh?
3: Tough story to follow. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess with, um, with the theme of the week as well, all he asks is everything. Um, I was thinking, we were chatting about... How the Samaritan um, was obviously quite generous and gave him everything that he well um, gave him quite a significant amount in um, in um, bandaging him and the uh, oil and wine um, and even on the his own animal um, where he was either gonna have to ride with him on the animal or he was potentially leading the animal as well. Um, So he uh, he gave everything that he had he was prepared and also um potentially it just says about the samaritan was on a journey so the samaritan was also on a journey and then to stop in that moment and i guess lead him um to the inn and then he says he um you know take care of him when i come back i'll reimburse you so he was also gonna there was now he's just added another stop on his journey while he was also on a journey of his own um so obviously you know the in today it's sort of the inconvenience of you know what we might be doing in that time um, and it's also I guess when you look at it and get to the end it's sort of almost a bit of a good illustration of pastoral care journey in that he he cared for him in that moment and then even leading him to the end it's almost like he knew that he could be looked after and cared. It's almost like bringing him to God and to do what only God can do, because we, you know, someone's put too much pressure on herself, of what, you know, what can we do? But then also said, then you know, I'll come back. So it's like at church is one thing to see someone have a quick conversation, then go, oh, good, I'm, I'm done. But often it's about that sort of continuing to, um, yeah, just to check back in and lead people and um, and care for them. And so, yeah, that's a couple of them.
1: It's a big deal to sign a blank check. He just said, whatever else it costs, I'll I'll fix you up uh, when I come back through. And um, no, you raised some some excellent points and um, something that um, I only became aware of last year was that the word um, that we translate, hospitality, when I say we, me and the other Bible translators, we translate um, as hospitality in English in the New Testament literally means to love a stranger to love a stranger. Every time that you practice hospitality, you are moving someone along that continuum from a stranger to family. If you walk past your brother, your child, your parent um, in the predicament that we just read about, um, on the side of the road, left for dead, of course you are going to stop. Of course you are going to do whatever you can. In order to help that person why because they are family and so what this samaritan has done is he's treated this jewish man as family i was really challenged before chatting to eric Um, i shared that um, same thing with him and um, i'd love if you're up for it for you to share that same response um, with everybody Uh, uh,
4: about the foreigner and uh yeah, yeah so so in in in, uh, in Swahili so Swahili is the um, is, is is the language spoken in East Africa now, now uh in Swahili there's no translation for uh, for the word uh stranger like uh like uh I, I don't know the translation for the word stranger and and that's my mother tongue and uh, even foreigner there's no translation for the word foreigner. And I feel it's because our society, it, like uh, originally was more like communal, you know, in the village. And in the village, really like um, like uh, a village is just a village, you know, it, it, it's very, very um, co- communal. Yeah, so, so, so this word stranger and foreigner, it, 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 it's not, we don't have this word in Swahili. Yeah.
1: It's a good challenge for us um, and I, I think with this sort of stuff we need to acknowledge we do have those words in the English language um, and that is a part of our culture. Um, somebody might be old enough to remember Pauline Hanson being challenged like, are you xenophobic um, a long, long time ago? Um, but we, we, as an Australian culture, um, as a, well, let's say, as the Australian colony, who want to make it a little bit political, um, have had that as a, a part of the culture uh, where there are people that are in and people that are out, people that are part of our community and the strangers, the foreigners, and so that is a part of the history uh, and the DNA of, um, of this country. Um, but no, th- Thank you, Josh. Um, it, it is an incredible act of service to let him sit on the donkey all those, all those details are significant. Pouring on oil and wine—that is expensive. He's giving the best things that he had um, in order to do, give the best medical um, assistance that he knew to give. I'd love to hear from one, maybe two more people on um, their own reflections. Uh, what stood out to them? What they're going to do about it? All right, one, two. <laughs>
5: Um, So what stood out to me was that um, along with this passage, every time that a, a person of the law tried to test Jesus, he responded in two ways. Firstly, he responds with questions back to them and then he responds with stories. And at my work, I have a couple people who like to try and trip me up and trap me in questions asking me really hard stuff that's not easy to explain Um, and I felt like God wants me to work out how do I respond better to them so that I'm not trying to answer their hard questions with my knowledge but maybe having some questions to send back their way and what stories can I be telling them that teach something in that instead.
1: Uh, This one is not my own story, um, but I love it and I think it fits in with what you just shared there. Um, A guy, Cam, who's a university worker, Um, he was waiting to meet up with someone at at university and he um, gets in this conversation uh, with someone else that just happens to be there at that time. Um, And he has this question, which I've adopted and I've used for years, um, which is any time you have the opportunity to share that you've been to church or that you are a Christian, just ask the person. How about you? You know, what's been your experience of church, of Christian stuff? Um, anyway, so he asks that, and this guy responds like, "It's all a bunch of fairy tales. Bible can't trust it." And Twitch Cam responds, "What would you do if I was able to, you know, prove to your satisfaction that the Bible is reliable? What would it change for you?" And the guy responds, like, change from me. It's not going to mean anything. I'm not going to believe that stuff, no matter what you say to me. He's like, fine. I'm not going to tell you then. And that was the end of that conversation. And then he saw this guy. No, no, sorry. The guy said, like, you can't do that. That's not fair. And he said, well, if I'm telling you stuff that is so significant to me and is not going to change anything about your life, I would just be preaching at you. I don't want to do that. I don't think you want me to do that either. And the guy's kind of like, oh, Yeah, he's you know, a bit worked up about it. Anyway, because he was on that university campus, he happened to see this guy a few times uh, just walking around. He was always very friendly to him. The guy just didn't want to have a bar of it, just, you know, sort of ignored him. Um, But then it was about a month later uh, that Cam was sitting with uh, with someone else and this guy comes up to him um, and interrupts and says, look, I'm not saying I'm going to become a Christian, but... I do really want to hear what you have to say. When can we meet up? What kind of place? How different is the place that he was when they did meet up versus where he was when he first wanted that information? You know, often you know don't throw your pearls to pigs. It sounds really rude. Um, like who are you calling a pig? Um, but be careful when you give what is valuable uh, and what is meaningful. Um, it could be that it's just the wrong time. I don't believe it's ever the wrong person, um, but it could be the wrong time to give that information to that person. Um, so I, I love that as a outcome. Thinking it through, like you know that it's happened a bit before, it's likely to happen again. Lord, we just yeah bless you in that. Uh, continue to seek the Lord on on how He will uh, lead you in that space. Over to you, Georgia.
5: Um, what stood out to me is in verse 29 it says and he wanted to justify himself and we don't know anything about the man Jesus was talking to but I'm guessing he was probably doing some stuff in his life he knew weren't wasn't right or maybe doing some dodgy stuff and he wanted to find an excuse to continue living the way he was and I think sometimes in life we do that as well. We know What we're doing isn't right and it doesn't align with God. But we're looking for that excuse to continue living the way we are doing, what we're doing. And I think it's just a good reminder to think and stop when you come to those moments and just pray to God about it and give it to him.
1: It was actually the same thing that stood out to me, the seeking to justify himself um, yeah. challenged by that and the way that I do that in different contexts and yeah there's a couple of things for me personally that I'm looking to do uh, different as a result of just being challenged around that area in a couple of particular relationships um, yeah um, let's have a look at the, the passage again and my question for you now that a familiar story is uh, hopefully more familiar, and what happens around it is more familiar. Why do you think Jesus responded with that story to that question? The "Who is my neighbor?" Why did he respond with telling that story to the question, "Who is my neighbor?"
6: I think um, that the man was on the wrong track and he was asking the wrong question to start with because he was asking, like he was talking to Jesus but he wasn't really interested in Jesus at all. He was asking, um, what must I do to gain eternal life? So his focus was what was on himself and what he could do And his goal was to gain eternal life. And his intention was to trick Jesus up and get him out of the way. He didn't care about Jesus. So, whereas Jesus had a completely different focus for the man to consider, you know, to. He had to redirect his thought entirely to care about others more than himself. And not that the goal isn't eternal life. (laughs) Like, it's not the goal. It's like.
1: Yeah, there was that quote yesterday, wasn't there? Essentially saying the goal is not to get into heaven, but it's to live the kingdom of heaven here and now. Uh, Christian.
7: So I think um, just addressing that a Samaritan was the one who came along and showed compassion was Jesus was emphasising that um, Samaritans be seen by Jews as half-caste or just half-breed not not someone you relate to essentially an enemy to the Jewish people um, may, maybe even unclean or whatever and here Jesus is showing that um you may think of this person as your enemy but um what if they show you the you, such love that um you you yeah it's such love that can't be like, fathomed um and can't be repaid Um, What do you do in that situation? What does that look like? And so just really um, challenging the man that we're to look at others not as enemies but as people we are to love and love lavishly, I guess, yeah.
1: There's a really bad joke um, that, um, oh, I've forgotten how it starts know how it ends it's just it's getting worse it's getting worse isn't it josh um why did the jews not like the samaritans because they were jew ish see i told you it was bad i told you it was bad so they were half jews it was jews that had intermarried with other nations and then the Samaritans were the product of, of that, so you you have this historical thing going on with Jews and with Samaritans. Um, it's almost as intense as like it would be, you know, like a Victorian helping us. You know, it's just it's th- it's that ridiculous a thought. Um, we don't have an equivalent, anything like what the Jews had with the Samaritans. Um, it is a ridiculous thought. But who, if Jesus was telling this story to this particular person. Who is that expert in the law in this story? If he's telling the story and he's telling it to this man, who was that man in the story that he's telling? I think he's a beaten up man. Has anyone gone from Jerusalem to Jericho? Done the walk from Jerusalem to Jericho? I haven't either. But for all his listeners, they were very aware what he's talking about. From Jerusalem to Jericho was a notorious stretch. And there were so many places for people to be hiding. It would be very easy for someone to walk Uh, through and have no witnesses for what's going on because of the turns and because of the hills and the way it's sort of cut in through the hills. And so for this expert in the law, he's very familiar probably with making that trek from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jesus tells this story. He doesn't say, what if you were walking from Jerusalem to Jericho? That's why... What I'm saying now is a thought. It's not necessarily exactly what Jesus had intended, but there's a school of thought that says Jesus is telling this story about the man who is the one who is left for dead. Because the hero of the story is the Samaritan, and that is mind-blowing for the Jews. Like the Samaritan comes along, oh, what's he going to do, kick him in the face, he's going to take whatever he can find, no, no, it's the Samaritan that gives sacrificially, and just absolutely blows everyone's mind. Yeah, he couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan, the one. Yeah, the one who showed mercy, couldn't even bring himself to acknowledge that it was the Samaritan. The one who showed mercy, that was the the one. Because it's abhorrent for a Jew to give credit to a Samaritan. Because you've got the priest and the Levites. So the Levites were the priestly tribe. Not every Levite was a priest. They were temple workers or priests. So both from the same family. It doesn't say that this man is a Levite or a priest. It says he's an expert in the law. So it's quite likely that Jesus is putting him into the story and the first thing he needs to know is that he's the one that is destitute and in need and he's the one who's the recipient of mercy as one who has received mercy go and do likewise it has been demonstrated to you now you do it for others let's flick over to colossians We'll do Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. We could do Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 that says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you skip forward to verse 4, but God, because of his great mercy, made you alive. And together with Christ, I won't do the whole lot, but this idea is repeated. In different parts of Scripture. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, but also Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with Him and forgave us all our trespasses. It's huge. We were dead. We were the recipients and are the recipients of mercy. We need to know that we were the outsiders who have been brought. In. We are the ones who've been brought to life. We only have life because of Jesus' mercy to us. We are a part of his family because of Jesus' mercy to us. How dare we try and exclude anybody from the family that Jesus, through his mercy, brought us into? And most of the time, it's not an active, conscious decision. So much of it is just the things that we're not thinking about. And days like today, where we have stuff that's more in our face, I think yesterday, for those that were here, many will agree, stuff that we learned about um, the prison in Bali and the stuff that's going on there. Like Often we have no idea what's going on, uh, but to to hear about it, we can actually do something about it. Uh, And prayer is a significant thing, that we can do. Um, I want to keep reading this because I think it's worth just sinking into this a little bit deeper. I'll repeat the same thing that we just read. And when you were dead in trespasses, who committed the trespasses? We did. So it is a whole humanity problem, but it's also a personal problem. We committed trespasses what does that, what could be there instead of the word trespasses oh sorry this is colossians chapter 2 still colossians chapter 2 verse 13 colossians 2:13 and when you were dead in trespasses what word could be there instead of trespasses sin yeah you're dead in sin so trespass is to go where you shouldn't go. It makes sense, to go where you shouldn't go. You've trespassed, you've gone where you shouldn't have gone. It was us that did it. We're dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. The previous few verses have talked about this and the incredible reality. We'll go back to to verse 9. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Whew. We had it in the previous chapter as well, saying God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Just reckon, I think we can get our heads around that, that Jesus is fully God. The entire fullness of God in Jesus. And we talk about that. Jesus was fully human, but also fully God fullness of god in jesus but the next part i think is harder for us to get our head around and you have been filled by him other translations say and in him you're made complete or you're brought to fullness this translation says and you have been filled by him So God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. Christ is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in us. That has massive implications. God in us. Christ in us is the hope of glory, earlier in Colossians. Christ in us is the reality. Much of my life, I've seen myself as chock full of sin, And my job of sanctification is to bring the holy spirit who's somewhere and take up residence in me more and more of him less and less of the sin according to this we've been filled by him who is the fullness of god and and just to give ourselves a bit of context of just what it means to be filled with the fullness of god jesus is the ruler sorry the head over every ruler and authority If we have the ruler over, the head over every ruler and authority dwelling in us, what do we need to fear? Probably familiar with the scripture, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The he that's in us is the Holy Spirit. We have nothing to fear. He is in us. And what's happened to the the sinful nature? What's happened to the junk in us? Well, that's where we keep on reading. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him. So circumcision, the removal So the removal of the body of flesh, it is Christ who is in us by his spirit and the body of flesh has been removed from us. So in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Our reality is that it is God who is in us. He has dealt with all the junk. So we're the ones who trespass, the ones who sin, the ones who deserve death. But he now indwells us. He is the reality of what is in us and the junk has been removed. If we go to Romans 6, I'll try not to jump around too much but we'll go to Romans 6 just for a moment and we'll see some some similar ideas. Romans 6 verse 1 We've just been told that when the sin multiplied so did the grace. So if the sin multiplied and so did the grace What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. There's a a Southern American translation of the Bible that instead of saying absolutely not, says, hell no. (laughs) How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know. So we're up to Romans chapter 6, verse 6 now. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me And gave himself for me. That's Galatians 2.20. You see this stuff repeated. That what has happened in us is the removal of our sinful nature. So that it doesn't dominate us. It doesn't own us. It's not who we are. He indwells us. The junk has been removed. It is no longer who we are. Verse 7, Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Think of it very logically. A person that has died is not going to sin anymore. If you're looking for the person that stole your cat, it's not the person that is dead in the graveyard. Yeah, I think we've got that pretty well covered. A person that has died is freed from sin. They're not going to sin anymore. Now, If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. These next two verses are the reason that I brought us here. I just wanted to give a little bit of background So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you consider yourself to be dead to sin, it completely changes the way you respond to temptation. If you consider that you are a sinner, chock full of sin, and you see a temptation to sin, of course I'm going to sin. That's who I am. That's what I do. But if you consider that you are dead to sin and there's a temptation to sin, it has far less hold over you. That's not who I am. That's not what I do. I heard someone once give the illustration of uh, their wife's pristine guest room that was just always kept absolutely immaculate. Um, Husband and wife, the wife was the one who very much had control and sway over their guest room. Then there was his office. Um, And his office, um, there was a bin in there, but it was more that the whole thing was a bin. And just like if he needed to deal with something, just chuck it on the floor, deal with it, dust. It was just not the nicest place to be. If you're in that pristine room, And you've got a bit of rubbish. It's very unlikely that in that pristine room you are then going to just, you know, drop it on the floor. But in his office, you've got something that, oh, this place is so bad I can just toss it. It's not going to make it any worse. In fact, I might even improve it by adding some rubbish to the floor. If we understand ourselves to be made clean and holy and pure by him... If we see a temptation to sin, we're like, I'm not going to put that in here. I was at the 21st birthday party of a triathlete, um, and he was forced to eat McDonald's for the first time in his life. Of course, it had been purchased hours earlier, and so he's eating a Big Mac for the first time, and it was horrible. He was a well-oiled machine, if ever there was one. Um, Very careful about what he ate and what he did with his body. And he was not happy about having to put McDonald's into it. I think you get my point. The way we view ourselves is very significant for how we respond to temptation. If you see yourself as a dirty, rotten sinner and there's the temptation to sin, it's what I do. Of course I'm going to do it. I'm not making myself any worse. I'm already rotten to start with. If you see yourself as the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, that you have been made clean and pure and holy and you see something that doesn't fit with that reality, it is much easier to deny that temptation. There's a a simple strategy I've used for a few years um, and sometimes I'm like, oh, that's right, I haven't been thinking that for a while and it's a conscious thought to start thinking this way again. And that is, like I said earlier, I used to see myself as chock full of sin and trying to get more of God in me and the sin out. And then I started to see different ways of responding to temptation. So one is that if I'd have a temptation to sin, so there's a thought, um, it could be an angry thought, a lustful thought, whatever comes in, and I can respond three unhelpful ways of being quite common in my life. So one is I can indulge that thought and I can go and do something that is sinful because I've thought it. Oh, I'm just going to go and do it. Second option is that I'm going to, I think that thought and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I even thought that. Like how bad am I? I'm a Christian and I just had that thought and it goes another level when you're a husband, another level when you're a dad, another level when you're a pastor. I can't believe I had that thought and I'm just condemning myself for having that thought. But what am I dwelling on? I'm dwelling on the sin, and that's my focus. Or there's the classic, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it, in which case I am thinking about it because I'm just trying not to think about it. The most freeing option is just to go, oh, that used to be so tempting to me. Thank you, Father, that I never, ever, ever need to go there again because you have set me free. What I once was is not who I am right now. I get to live for your glory. You empower me. You live in me. What a delight to be called by your name, to be a child of the living God, to live free from that junk and to walk with you and help set others free in the process. You are so good to me. You are so good to us. My focus is not on the sin. My focus is shifted up to the one who set me free from the sin and keeps me free. It's a completely different way of operating. So you too, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If all we focus on is the fact that we're dead to sin, it's not enough. The reality that we are alive to God in Christ Jesus is the game changer. He is our focus. He's our saviour. He's our empowerer. He's the one who dwells within us. And this next verse is really key as well. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. It is possible as a Christian to let sin reign in your mortal body. It is possible to give yourself to sin. The, ma- the message paraphrase in here says, give yourself to sin and it's your last free act. You'll be enslaved to it. Yeah. So it is possible. So please don't hear me say that as a Christian you can't sin because know not what I'm saying. You can let sin reign in your mortal body, which is a frightful thought, but that is possible for a believer. So what do we do? Verse 11. It's true that we are free from sin, that we are dead to sin, but we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All his mercy, all his work, and we get to live in the freedom of it. If we went back to... The Colossians passage we see the the completeness of what he has done it tells us, feel free to jump there or feel free to not Um, he disarmed, sorry verse 14 of Colossians chapter 2 verse 14, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross took it away now it's the cross, the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. What we owed has been taken away. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. It is a done deal. It is complete. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Boom. One thing that stood out to Christie when we were doing that process just before um, with the passage about the Good Samaritan uh, was, was compassion. So, if we jump forward a little bit in Colossians now, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, it says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all. And in all. There's a Galatians verse that's very similar to that. It adds there's no male or female. So these different categories that are often big when it comes to identity. Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion. The thing that stood out to Christy when we were reading the passage about the Good Samaritan, was that he had compassion on him. That was the game changer. We pointed out yesterday that Jesus had compassion. Maybe it was earlier in the week. Jesus had compassion um, on the crowds. He healed their sick, he taught them, and he fed them, fed the 5,000. It started with him having compassion on them. We have compassion as people who have been shown compassion. We don't have those categories anymore. It's not the us and them. You're out, we're in. Those categories have been messed with significantly in the gospel. There is not Greek and Jew. There is not circumcised, uncircumcised all those categories that we held so tightly do not matter Christ is all and in all therefore as God's chosen ones that's an interesting reality, chosen ones we go, well if I'm chosen someone is not chosen I have so many thoughts running around my head at the moment about where to go We are his chosen ones. Does anybody know, um, it's a fairly well-known Bible passage. For many are called, but few are chosen. Does anyone know where that comes in Scripture? It is in Matthew. Nice work. Does anyone know what comes immediately before that Scripture? There's a parable that's told that's immediately before that scripture. Nick does because we've talked about this before. Tell us, Nick. Parable of the wedding, wedding banquet. Parable of the wedding banquet. We can turn there. So it's Matthew 21, maybe. Let's find out. 22. So Matthew 22. And oh, I think for the sake of time, I'm just going to summarise summarize this. And it won't be a thorough job. but happy to talk about it more later on. Um, but this parable starts off with the servants going out to bring in those that were already invited. Um, but they've got reasons why they can't go to the wedding banquet. So that happens. There's a harsh response from the king um, and then sending out and let's invite more people in, invite more in. Uh, There's still room after they've been brought in. So he's like, send out everyone you can find. Older translations, the highways and the byways and bring them in. So by the end of this parable, who has been invited to the wedding feast? Everyone has been invited to the wedding feast. And you get down to verse 14 where it says, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Who does the choosing in this passage about whether they accept the invitation or not? The guests. guests. It's one of those verses that I think for many people just leaves some doubt. Has God invited everybody? Or has he invited everyone, but he's only chosen a few? In the passage where it comes, it is the invitees that do the choosing, whether they come or not. God is one who has extended this invitation open to everyone. You know, Jesus abolished the dividing wall of hostility. That's speaking about Jews and Gentiles. Abolished it. Making from the two, one man. Bringing them together. So we don't have those categories, us and them, in and out. They are dealt with. But there's another passage that we we're going to be doing the Discovery Bible Method with. And I think we can still do it. This is one that Ben was really keen for us to, to look into. Um, so I've half done a bunch of thoughts. Hopefully there's enough in there that's, that's coherent and helpful. I want everyone to know that in Christ you have been made holy and righteous and pure. And it has moral implications for your life, how you live your life. It means you don't have to do the things that have been a snare for you in the past. He's set you free from those. But it's also the compassion that was in Christ is now in you. If we did a little study of... um, the farewell discourse in in John where Jesus is talking. It's chapters 13, 14, 15, 16 of John and Jesus is talking to the disciples and he tells them that they are to abide in his love. As I abide in my father's love, you too abide in my love by following my commandments. So you abide in his love. We're told that Jesus says, I tell you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Abide in his love, receive his joy. And then he says, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world does. Twice he actually says, different times, I give you my peace. Love, joy, peace. Is that a familiar list from anywhere else? So the fruit of the Spirit starts with love, joy, and peace. That is the fruit of the Spirit who lives in you. That is who you are. That's not an aspirational list of things that you want to get better at. It is the list of the one who indwells you and his character. It's his native, it's his modus operandi. It's what he does. He is patient. He is kind. All those things are who he is. So our job is not to try and become those things, it's to acknowledge that he is those things and he is in us and it's to submit to him and allow him to be loving, joy-filled, peaceful, all those things, yeah? We also need to know that it's all his grace, that we apart from him are dead, but he has brought us to life so we are to be inclusive of others because there are so many people who have no idea what has been paid for them <clears throat> no idea like when jesus said our father he invites all of us to have the same relationship with his father that he does for so many people have no idea that they have a father in heaven who loves them and we get to be a part of sharing that good news It's an amazing privilege. Jess, do you have something on your heart to share right now? That's okay. Let's have a look at um, James. This is one we're going to dig into. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. And we're going to launch straight into the Discovery Bible Method. Um, I'll read it out loud once. And then in your group, I want someone else to read it out loud. And then we're going to ask those questions after silent rereading. So do the same approach we did before. This is James chapter 1 from verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like, forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious... Without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Father, speak to us as we read this. In Jesus' name. Amen. So read it through again and follow that process.